Hi and welcome to Parsha on a Pod. It's a new book, it's a new week, we have new music, we are starting Sefer Shemos. My name is Yechiel Shafra. I'm the rabbi of the Pikesville Jewish Congregation. Parsha Shemos begins our journey with the Jewish people in their pursuit of freedom. In this Parsha, in Parsha Shemos, the Jewish people become enslaved. The Jewish people cry out to God. Moshe hears the vo- voice of God for the first time. And of course, he sees a bush that's burning, but not consumed. Shemos has 124 verses. It fills 215 lines in the Torah scroll. Here is Parsha Shemos in seven parts. Part 1. Ma Pitom. The story of the first Jewish exile and exodus begins now. We are reminded of the 70 souls that journeyed to Egypt with Yaakov and we're told that none of the original generation remain alive. The Israelites grow in number exponentially, while the Torah identifies that a new king has taken power in Egypt, a king that was unfamiliar with Joseph. The Pharaoh, oh, he is paranoid regarding the large and growing number of Israelites and insists that they be enslaved and oppressed. He he assigns taskmasters and assigns the Israelites to build the cities of Pitom and Ramses. The Israelites continued to greatly increase in number. With the tactics of oppression seemingly ineffective in slowing the, the birth rate of the Israelites, The Pharaoh calls upon the midwives who are birthing the children of the Hebrews to systematically kill all baby boys at birth. The midwives, we are told, are God-fearing and do not comply with Pharaoh's instructions. The Or HaChaim HaKadosh, chapter 1, verse 17, points out that the Torah stresses both that the midwives did not listen to the Pharaoh and that they kept the babies alive illustrating that they did not only successfully birth these babies, but they also fed and cared for them. Their righteousness had no bounds. And so ends part one. Part two, Vahana'ar Bocheh. The Pharaoh summons the midwives to question why they have not followed his orders. They defend themselves by asserting that the babies had babies were already born by the time they arrive. The Hebrew women were very quick in delivering their babies and there was no chance, no time to commit genocide. God rewards the midwives generous, generously for their actions. Chapter 2. We are told of the premature baby birth of a baby boy to a family of Levites. After three months of keeping the birth quiet, they can no longer hide the baby. They place him in a basket and send him down the Nile by himself, under the watchful eye from a distance of his siblings. An Egyptian princess finds the basket and opens it up, and to her shock, there's a baby, and she takes him as her own. The child grows and is given the name Moshe by the princess of Egypt, the woman who found him in the Nile. Rabbeinu Bachia, chapter 2, verse 10, points out that the daughter of the Pharaoh merited to give Moshe his name, the name we use, because she's the one who noticed the vulnerable baby, and she's the one who adopted someone who greatly needed 
caring for. And so ends part two. Part three. Vayifen ko v'cho. Moshe grows up and goes out to witness the oppression of his brothers and sisters firsthand. Upon witnessing an Egyptian abusing an Israelite, Moshe steps forward and in defending the Israelite kills the Egyptian. The next day Moshe goes out again to see firsthand the atrocities that are taking place and he witnesses two Israelites fighting. He implores them to stop and they question his position and his intentions. Who made you chief and judge over us? With the accusations lobbed at Moshe, he flees for his life. He now becomes a fugitive. Upon his arrival in Midian, Moshe encounters the daughters of of Yitro and protects them in a vulnerable encounter, protects them from abusers. The daughters bring Moshe back to their father and Yitro welcomes them into his family, welcomes Moshe marrying his daughter Tzipora to him. Moshe and Tzipora have their first son and name him Gershon referring to his experience of displacement, his experience of being a stranger in a strange land. And so ends part three. Part four, Vayera Malach Hashem. Moshe shepherds Yisro's flock deep into the desert, fleeing society. And he comes across, across Mount Chorev, identified as the mountain of God. On top of the mountain, Moshe notices a bush that is burning but not being consumed, and he is awed by the sight. In the first of what would become many, hundreds, if not thousands of encounters, God speaks with Moshe, instructing him to return to Egypt, to save the Israelites from their slavery. Moshe protests the instructions and suggests that he is incapable of playing such a role. God reassures him that he will be with him and that the mission is to let the Jewish people know that God is with them in Egypt. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory was fond of pointing out that the first words Moshe ever uttered to God were the words, Mi Anochi, who who am I? starting a long tradition of introspection when seeking an audience with the Almighty. And so ends part four. Part five. Shlach na biyad tishlach. God instructs Moshe to gather the elders of Israel, the leaders of the Jewish people, and to share with them that God has remembered the Jewish people and his promise to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. After speaking with the elders, Moshe will then go to the people themselves and tell them that God with great might will take them out of Egypt. Moshe insists that the people will not believe him, and God instructs him to take his staff and throw it to the ground. The staff then becomes a snake. God instructs Moshe to put his hand on the tail of the snake and it turns back into an inanimate piece of wood into a staff. God now instructs Moshe to place his hand inside his coat and when he pulls it out, it is covered in snow-like tzara'at. When he returns it to his coat, his skin is healed. 
that the people don't believe his message during that time, witnessing those events, then throw water onto the ground from the river Nile, and it will turn into blood. Moshe continues his protests to protest his selection, asking God to choose another. Shlach na biyad tishlach. Send whoever you're going to send. And God tells Moshe that Aaron will be a spokesman, but they must go together. And so concludes part five. Part six. Leich Shalom. Moshe returns to his father-in-law, shares with him God's message, who then in return encourages him to leave on his mission. God reassures Moshe that all those who sought to kill him in Egypt are dead, and he returned unencumbered by concern for his safety, and he sets off with, with his family. On the journey, Tzipporah performs a circumcision on their son and chastises Moshe for not performing, that, not performing it himself. Rashi, among other commentaries, work very hard to understand why Moshe didn't circumcise his son. The Orachim chapter 4 verse 24 hones in on the complex situation and why Moshe was protected from the ramifications of the mistake, yet they still needed to be correct. Moshe, in his mission to listen to the voice of God, was protected from the ramifications of not circumcising his son, but a mistake needed to be fixed. Now Aaron comes to meet him, and Moshe reports to him everything that God had told him. They return to Egypt together, brother with brother. Moshe shows his signs to the elders and the Israelites, and everyone is convinced that his message is true. Everyone believes the Savior has come. And so ends part six. Part seven. Vayome paro mi Hashem asher eshmar bekolo. Osha now goes to the court of the Pharaoh and demands freedom for his people. Paro questions their God and their mission and now tasks the Jewish people with even more intense labor, not providing them the materials for their building project, but rather requiring that they go and collect the materials themselves. The people grow disgruntled and protest to Moshe that their work has only increased since his advocacy began. God promises Moshe that the redemption is coming and that the Pharaoh will let the Israelites go. Rashi chapter 5 verse 20 points out that the Jewish people, the Jewish protests against the heavier workload due to Moshe was led by none other than Datan and Aviram, Moshe's old foes from when he earlier fled from Egypt. And so ends Parshas Shamos. Thank you for joining us for this third pod- first podcast of Season 2, Book 2 in the Torah, Sefer Shamos, studying Parshat Shamot. One final thought. Just as we get to know Moshe, to understand his values and his integrity, he flees Egypt. 
we skip over 40 years of his life. According to the Midrash, he is 40 when he flees Egypt and he's 80 when he returns to bring the Jews out of Egypt. The silence of these 40 years is part of the story of Moshe, indicating to us that Moshe utilizes this time to isolate himself from society, to seek out God, and to try and understand what it means to demand justice and to witness the Israelites themselves fighting against each other. This begins our journey with the Jewish people and with Moshe Rabbeinu. Thank you so much for joining us for this, the first episode of Parshat Shemos.